This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Support for all the books comes from Talenti. When Talenti makes gelato and sorbetto, they tend to get a little overzealous. Did they need to use so many raspberries in their Roman raspberry sorbetto that the machine broke? Did they need to try 25 different chai teas to find the perfect spice blend for their vanilla chai gelato? Did they have to invent giant mint steepers to make their Mediterranean mint super minty? Does their obsessiveness make Talenti gelato and sorbetto the greatest? You be the judge. But yes, it does make them the greatest. They're also the judge. Talenti, the delicious is in the details. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 118, and today we are talking about books released on August 1st, 2017, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow podcast, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, hello. What happened to July? Like, seriously. I know people say that all the time because it's true. I, like, blinked and July was over. It was. And I'm going to be, I'm home for one week. I Then I have some work travel. So I'm basically going to miss, like, all of August. Yeah. And I'm partly excited to just get to the part where it's fall and we get to big book season. But also I need to know where most of 2017 has gone. It's crazy. It really is. We have a bunch of good books this week, though. Yes, this is a really good new release day. I read a bunch of great things. Um, I need to get ready, though. Hold on one second. Okay, now I'm ready. (laughs) Was that a Red Bull? Mm, Occam's Razor. (laughs) So... I realize this is going to be like grim, dark liberty today. <laughs> like I, ha- I, have, I have a lot of dark things. Also, I think the most recent uh, book, the most recent, uh, what is the word I'm trying to say? Um, I read all of these a long time ago is what I'm saying. <laughs> this first one I read in November. So <laughs> please bear with me if I get the details wrong. Just know that I love it and I'm trying really hard. <laughs> oh, So anyway, moving on. My first pick, like I said, I read it in November. I've been so excited about it forever. It is See What I Have Done by Sarah Schmidt, the Lizzie Borden novel that you've probably heard about a million times. Has the amazing cover with the pigeon head on it. Um, just, I, have, I actually have in my notes right here, murder recap. <laughs> just to like, <laughs> in case you're not familiar with Lizzie Borden, she was like the O.J. Simpson of her time. She was accused of murdering her mother, or excuse me, her uh, stepmother and her father in 1892. Um, they were found murdered with an axe and she was put on trial, but essentially acquitted ma- mostly because at the time they were like, women don't behave like this. They don't commit violent crimes like this. You know, especially not rich women, um, which works out really well in your favor when you have just axed two people to death. So, Sarah Schmidt has written a story about the murders, and it's this sort of unsettling, murdery fever dream. It has four narrators. It's Lizzie herself, her older sister Emma, their maid Bridget, and a mysterious stranger named Benjamin, who is in some way related to their uncle John. Um... It's about the days leading up to and following the murders. 
She covers how Lizzie was very mad at her father. He had made her get rid of her pigeons. Um, it talks about how Bridget was unhappy in the household. Uh, there was a lot of tension. The, um, she wanted to go back to Ireland. She was getting ready to leave. Um, her sister Emma is fed up with her petulant little sister, and she has gone to stay with a friend at the time that the murders occurred. Um, and there's just been, there have been literally hundreds of books and movies and TV shows on this subject because no one actually knows the answer. Like, if she didn't do it, you know, who did? And they, you know, they've been like, oh, well, it was the older sister. She wasn't really there. Or it was, you know, the maid or, you know, Lizzie and the maid were having a relationship and they did it together. Or, you know, the uncle did it for the money. Like, no one, no one knows what actually happened except the people who were there. And Schmidt doesn't add anything new to the story, theory-wise. You know, what she does do is, like, explore, you know, familial resentments and the line between love and hate and... You know, relationships between sisters and relationships between parents and the roles of women at the time, like their their limits. You know, her writing is this sort of feverish swirl, you know, of all the senses. You know, she's less interested in the facts of the murder and instead, you know, captures this atmosphere. It's a very unsettling and smart book. Um, I just loved it to pieces. I don't know if that's a good thing to say about an axe book, um, but I loved it to pieces. And I'm <laughs> totally intended. I didn't mean to, but now I'm going to go with it. Um, so again, it's called "See What I Have Done" by Sarah Schmidt. So um, can I t- can I just tell you that I I stayed in Lizzie Borden's house once, which oh yeah, which I would like to tell you a little bit about since it cost me four hundred dollars. <laughs> But <laughs> Make no. it worth it. Get exactly. that content, Lib. Get that content. It was probably like 15 years ago, and it's actually like in Fall River, Massachusetts, her actual home where the murders occurred is now a B&B, like museum. And you can go there and you stay, and there are like four bedrooms. And when I stayed, I stayed in the parents' room, and then there was an older couple who were staying in Lizzie's room, and then they brought their college-age daughter and her two friends who were staying in a guest room, and then there was a woman who was there with her 10-year-old son who was there for his birthday. That's what he wanted to do for his birthday. I was like, right on, kid. But, like, they give you this tour, and they talk about it, and they bring you down in the basement. Like, they have a coffin set up, which is completely unreasonable. It wasn't there before. But, like, they're trying to, like, set up this creepy atmosphere. And by, you know, 10 o'clock that night, the little boy, he was, like, hysterically upset. And we were like, it's all fine. It's all fine. It's all good. But nobody got any sleep that night. Like, the girls started screaming in the night because they thought someone was in their room. The people back then were a lot shorter. My husband, I was with him, and he was 6'5", and our bed was, like, six feet long. So he was like, <laughs> we just paid $400 to sleep on a bed, you know, that I, I can't get comfortable on. I mean, it was it was crazy. Like, everybody just sort of feeds off each other, you know, like, all their paranoia. And, like, people's like, mm-hmm. what is that, you know? Because I was like, we're going to go there. It's going to be fine. But it was actually, it was, it was pretty fun. And Sarah Schmidt is actually doing a reading there in October. So I'm hoping to get down there to see that. So that's my, my Lizzie Borden B&B story. I don't have any personal stories <laughs> to accompany my first pick this week. But when I get into it, I think you'll be glad. Um, it's Mrs. Fletcher by Tom Parada. He who wrote Little Children and The Leftovers and my favorite kind of like suburban melodrama. Um, there's always so much good, like incisive social commentary and also just a really fun read in a Tom Parada novel. And it's been a while since we had one. Um, and if you are only 
intimately familiar with The Leftovers from TV, I would encourage you to go read the book because the feel is pretty different. It's not nearly as like dark and weird as the television show got. Though I did love the show. The book is worth encountering on its own. I love me some Tom Parada. Mrs. Fletcher um, begins with... Eve Fletcher. She is 46 years old. She lives in a nice suburban neighborhood. She's been divorced for several years because her husband just up and left her for a much younger woman and started a new family with her. And Eve's 18-year-old son, Brendan, is getting ready to go off to college. In fact, it's the day that they're leaving. He's still asleep because he is hungover from partying with his friends the night before, and Eve is loading up the truck all by herself, like just sweating, getting all of his stuff into the truck. Uh, When Brendan's girlfriend comes over, goes up into the house, Eve is pretty sure she knows what they're up to with their goodbyes, but she she goes upstairs, she's trying to get some stuff together, and she happens to be outside Brendan's room when she opens overhears him using some very, let's call it, uh, not very feminist language uh, with his girlfriend and begins to have this understanding that who her son was is, is maybe not the kind of young man that she has thought that he was. Um, so we start with Eve's perspective, but the book then moves into Brendan's perspective and we go back and forth between them. They narrate the two sides of the story all the way through with a little help from a couple other side characters, but it's mostly Eve and Brendan. Brendan is a total bro, like super into his biceps, would have worn a puka shell necklace if he had been a teenager in the 90s. He picked this college because it has a great party reputation. And he's down with that. He's just a jerk. Like, he thinks that he's just like a cool guy who's being a guy, but he's a jerk. And Parada writes the character in a way where you know that, like, the terrible things that are coming out of Brendan's mouth and the things that he's thinking um, are there because this character is a jerk. He's going off to college and he thinks that he's going to, you know, like go to a million parties and hit it off with the ladies. And it just doesn't really go that way for Brendan. He has a harder time settling in than he expected to. And he also makes a few mistakes with women, uh, including using some of that same language that he had used with his girlfriend, with a new girl that he has just met. And he finds himself called out in a very public way for his behavior. Um, So while Eve is getting settled into her empty nest and like finding a new life for herself, she signs up for a class on gender and culture at the local community college. It turns out to have a really interesting professor and a diverse group of students, a lot of whom are also older adults or non-traditional students. And she is like making friends in this class. She's trying out new things at work. She's thinking about dating. She's exploring who she is, but also she's really lonely because her son is gone. And so she might be developing a porn habit. Um, So we get kind of into the like less savory parts of that kind of suburban life and being single, especially uh, in your middle age with her. But there's good stuff too about discovering uh, more interesting things in her life now that she doesn't just have to work and be a mother to Brendan. She's pretty happy actually that he's out of the house, which is too bad because Brendan ends up back home and some weird things happen and stuff goes a little sideways and they're both sort of trying to negotiate their ways in the world. This is literary fiction in the way of like not a whole lot actually happens. I was talking to Bob about it and he was like, I don't understand novels like that. And I was like, oh, but Parada just sets the scene so well. It's so fully realized. You can just imagine what this, what Eve's little world is like and what Brendan wishes his little world 
were like and how each of them is trying to make new sense of who they are. It's a lot of fun. It's really funny. There are some uncomfortable moments because Tom Parada does that very well, like moments that should be uncomfortable and are. And I just thought it was a lot of fun. So that's Mrs. Fletcher by Tom Parada. Good stuff about middle-aged and late adolescence, early adulthood, major life transitions, suburban melodrama. I'm here for it. Have you read Election? Yes. I loved that one. I also love the movie, which is super old now, I think, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. Oh, yeah, with Reese Witherspoon? Yeah, and Matthew Broderick, who is like, Mm -hmm. I had never seen him in anything other than like Ferris Bueller, really, you know, or Lady Hawk. So watching that movie, I was like, you're a bad man, Matthew Broderick. Like, how could you do that? I had to watch it a couple times because the first time I just wasn't registering like what was happening because I was like, Matthew Broderick wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think Tom Parada, like, he does, he's one of those writers who kind of does one thing really well. And it's this, like, suburban y satire and social commentary. And, yeah. and he just has a great eye for it. Awesome. All right. Would you like to hear about our first sponsor this week? Yes, please, because it has a funny title and I don't know what it is. It's called Book Pop. Yes. And it's from. Qu- Quirk Books, which is a really great publisher, um, from July 31st to August 11th, Quirk Books is hosting Book Pop, which is an online Comic-Con. So Quirk's authors are going to be taking over all of its socials, visiting sites across the web, sharing original content at quirkbooks.com. And like any great con, there are also going to be some great swag giveaways. Quirk will also be hosting a digital cosplay contest, and they've partnered with geeky companies for an amazing grand prize. So you can find out more by going to quirkbooks.com slash bookpop. You can win prizes from Out of Print, from Jordan Denae, from Cards Against Humanity, and more. The digital cosplay contest is going to be judged by Geekerella author Ashley Poston. You can interact with your favorite Quirk authors through Facebook Live and Instagram Live, and you'll be able to check out the whole schedule for this at quirkbooks.com slash book pop. So again, that's an online Comic-Con. It's the first time that I've heard of this being done. So it should be pretty interesting to follow. If this sounds like your jam or maybe just your possible jam and you want to see what that's all about, again, it's quirkbooks.com slash book pop. So thanks to them. I didn't know what it was. I was like, is this book flavored soda? Is this book shaped popcorn? Like what's book pop? But that's cool. Mm, And yeah, I've never heard of an, an online con like that. So that sounds cool. I have no segue, like none whatsoever. We're going to shift gears here. (laughs) It's completely different. But oh my goodness, so, so good. I loved this book. It is The Blinds by Adam Sternberg. It takes place in Cezura, Texas. That's the name of the town, but it's 100 miles from anywhere. And everyone refers to it as The Blinds. Um, It's a place populated by volunteers basically in a social experiment. It's kind of like... Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind for criminals or Mm. crime witnesses. Um, It's kind of like, I imagine it's like if Cormac McCarthy was trying to write an Agatha Christie novel. It's so, so good. Um, It's so, like, eight, when this book takes place, like, eight years prior, um, there were the original eight members of The Blinds. They were people who had either done some terrible, terrible things in their lives or had witnessed some terrible things, so they needed, like, witness protection. 
um, they erase their memories. And so when they first, of like what happened or what they did, but like when they first started out, it was an experiment. So they actually like erased not only their memories of what they did, but also like most of their memories going back. And now it's like eight years later and their memory, like they're, they're much better at this procedure. And now people just have had what they've done or why they're there erased from their memories. Um, they're cut off from the world. There's no internet. You're not allowed to leave. No one's allowed to visit. There's no phone calls. You are there, You for whatever reason, you agreed to do this. So it's for your own protection, you are there. Um, everyone has a new name. They give you a list of movie stars, and they give you a list of vice presidents, and they say pick a first name and a last name from this list. Um, the only hired employees in the blinds are the sheriff, who is not an actual sheriff, but he's close enough to the sheriff. He maintains order and like wears a fake badge and all the stuff. His name is Cal Cooper. And then he has two deputies that work with him, and they take care of things of, like, you know, the neighbor's dog is barking too loud or, you know, stuff like that, like really minor things. Um, but in all the eight years that it's been in operation, nothing bad has ever happened until two months earlier from when the book starts, there is a suicide. And no one is allowed to have weapons, so they don't understand how this happened, but this man has shot himself. And then, when the book opens, there has been a murder. Another person has been killed and shot. And again, no one's allowed to have weapons, so they don't know how this has happened. But at the same time around, when this when this starts, they have a new intake. They're taking in four new members of the blinds. But one of them, it turns out, has a different agenda and is not actually there for the reasons that they say they are. Um, there's also a new deputy. One of Cal Cooper's deputies has only been there a few weeks. The old deputy left immediately after the suicide of one of the residents, and she's curious as to why he did that. Um, and Cal Cooper, he has his own secrets. Like I said, he's a paid employee, so he's allowed to come and go. Um, and so he has his own secrets that he's trying to keep from people who live in the blinds, and he must work hard to keep his past hidden while trying to hold the community together because the new deputy, she's allowed to come and go. She's going to go into town, and she's looking into information and trying to to find out, like, what has happened here. So somewhere in the town, in this giant, you know, communal memory, like, memory fugue, someone is actually or possibly remembering things. Because I love this concept. It's like these people who are there, but they know that they're there because they, one of them or some of them or all of them have potentially done bad things. So, like, you could start up a new relationship, but you don't know why that person is there. They could have, like, murdered their family, or they could have seen someone else murder their family, you know? So, like, it's it's very stressful, you know, people mostly keep to themselves there. Um, the writing is excellent, and there's just so, so much mystery going on. I absolutely loved it. He also wrote um, Shovel Ready and Near, oh, yeah. e Near Enemy. He's mm -hmm. just He's just so great. So again, I really liked Shovel Ready. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't read the follow up. I but I have it somewhere. Story of my life. Um, but this one is so fantastic. Again, it's called The Blinds by Adam Sternberg. All right. Uh, also, no segue. We'll just keep shifting <laughs> gears again. This is like if your first segment was right in your wheelhouse. This one is right in my wheelhouse. It's Bitch Doctrine: Essays for Dissenting Adults by Lori Penny. She is a journalist, an activist. She had a great book out a few years ago called Unspeakable Things, which was uh, the subtitle was Sex, Lies, and Revolution. That I just read earlier this year um, on the heels of the election. And I just really love the way that she writes and the way that she thinks. And this new collection, man, it, it comes at a good time. Uh, she takes on Trump's election. She talks about trigger warnings. She talks about rape culture. She gets at how uh, 
if we're not creating freedom for the most marginalized people, that's not freedom. No one is really free. Um, this is about intersectional feminism. It's about online harassment. Like if you are sort of living in that like I zeitgeist is the word that they use in the synopsis of the book. So if you're paying attention to that, if you're looking at all of the social movements and how a lot of the social movements are taking place or at least finding their uh, original momentum online and what that means about our interactions, you're going to like this book a lot as well. It's like any collection of essays. You're not going to love every single word in it. You're not going to love every single piece. But I think on the whole, it's very strong and it covers a whole lot of ground. Uh, Lori Penny is a, a smart thinker. She's an interesting and nuanced thinker. And the book is also surprisingly funny. The like dark humor comes through in a lot of situations, but it's also very provocative. The, like The cover is neon green and says, bitch doctrine in hot pink. Um, so if you're reading it out in public, just something to consider about that. Um, but it's it, it kind of invites the readers to think about these things that do need to be confronted, these ideas that we either are confronting or should be confronting. Um, she's talks about being trolled. She talks about, you know, trying to help the culture understand what it means to be genderqueer. Um, we have all this new language in the last couple of years as culture becomes more inclusive and a lot of people don't get it. Um, so how do you talk about those things in a way that's helpful um, and that does actually move the movement forward? Um, I really, really liked this book a lot. Um, and it's one of these books that like is of the moment. I think there's a really solid collection now of books of essays and sort of contemporary political thought, but also young, very sharp journalists doing work like this that's very needed um, to especially engage younger readers. But if you listen to this show or and you're like a little older or you're not living online as much and you're looking for an entry point into uh, sort of what is going on like on Tumblr <laughs> with uh, with younger people developing all this like whole spectrum of vocabulary for describing, say, gender identity or sexual identity. That's really different from like I'm 34 and it's really different from when I was a younger adult. So if you're in a generation or two above that, or maybe you're trying to help your parents understand it, some of these essays get at those things as well, or at least give you language to talk about them more effectively. It's really great. Again, it's Bitch Doctrine essay for Dissenting Adults by Lori Penny. Nice. I And I'm going to turn it back to very dark and mystery-ish. I'm so full of words today that I can't get them out properly. Oh, goodness. My next pick is called The Lost Ones by Sheena Kamal. It is the first in a new series. It is, as I said, a mystery. It's about a woman named Nora Watts. It starts with a phone call. She receives a phone call saying that the baby she gave up for adoption 15 years ago named Bonnie has gone missing. Her parents call Nora and ask if she has seen her. She, they think maybe she was tr trying to look for her birth mother. But Nora has not seen her. Um, but as much as she has tried to put the memory of her baby out of her mind, she is concerned and wants to know where Bonnie is. Um, Nora is kind of a loner. She works for some lawyers. She lives in their basement, unbeknownst to them. Um, she sneaks in at night and stays there and lives there with her dog. Um, she's considered a human lie detector. That's why they keep her around. She's really, really good at telling when people are lying. Um, but she she's had a very hard life. She grew up in the foster care system. Um, she had a, a childhood full of violence and unhappiness when she was small. And when she was a teenager... 
She was abducted, and she doesn't remember what happened. All she knows is that she woke up in a hospital. She had been in a coma for six months, and she was six months pregnant. Um, so she had this baby as a teen and gave it away. And now she feels the need. She feels this bond, and she, she wants to find Bonnie and find out what happened to her. It goes from Vancouver to Canada, all this crazy wilderness settings. Um, it's, she's left out in the cold a lot, and it's just very creepy. Uh, she learns secrets about her own past in an effort to uncover the truth about what happened to her daughter. Um, it's it's really great. I'm really into, like, these sort of, I don't want to say damaged, I want to say more, like, realistic detectives. You know, like, usually they're mm-hmm. like, I'm a superhero, and I get everything right on the first try, and, you know, I know everything. But I'm really into, like, you know, having to work out your problems, like, and also do your job. I just read another book that I wanted to mention because it was fantastic. It was called The Last Place You Look by Kristen Lepionka. I'm going to say that. I came out in June, but I just got around to reading it the other day. It's really fantastic. Another one about a damaged detective or realistic detective who has to look for a missing... Lots of missing girls in these books, I guess. This is still, still the theme, like, what, going for, like, 10 years now? 20 years? I don't know how long it's been going on, but um, another really fantastic one. So if you want to check out the start to a great new series. This one is called The Lost Ones by Sheena Kamal. Excellent. All I, right. It's, up, it's still you. Yes. I I wanted to do this sponsor because I just bought this book the other day because I heard great things and I'm really excited to read it. It's called The Punch Escrow by Tal M. Klein. Dubbed the next Ready Player One and perfect for fans of Dark Matter, The Punch Escrow is the must-read book of the summer. Already in development for film, this genre-busting debut is part hard sci-fi thriller, part love story, and part high-stakes adventure through a world where teleportation is the norm. After he's accidentally duplicated while teleporting, Joel Bryan must outrun the most powerful corporation on the planet and find a way back to his wife in a world that now has two of him. The Punch Escrow is the first book in Geek and Sundry's publishing imprint with ink shares and will be available wherever books are sold July 25th. Which is when I bought it, which means it's now out now. It just sounds like so much fun. So I'm going to read that in the next week and I'll let you know how it is. Um, but we'll have a link to it in the show notes. And again, it's called The Punch Escrow by Tal M. Klein. And we thank them for sponsoring. All right. Um, before I get to my next pick, I think I, I need to do like an intro for the intro to my next pick um, because I got a great email last week from a listener who will remain anonymous about how we do trigger warnings on the show. And we've talked on past episodes about why we do trigger warnings, so we don't need to retrod that ground. Um, but the listener pointed out that we'll often talk about the content of the book and say like, oh, and there are a lot of trigger warnings, so if you're going to read this, you know, be warned. But we still might mention the things that are triggering in it. Um, And she suggested that uh, if there's a way for us to mention at the start of a segment, like this segment is going to contain material about whatever the thing is, um, so that anybody who wants to avoid that whole segment and not hear about the book or the details at all um, can do it. And I think that's a great suggestion. And also it doesn't cost us anything to do it. And Anybody who doesn't have those triggers can listen to the segment, but anybody who does um, can bounce on to the next one and will hopefully avoid accidentally triggering anybody with our description of a book before we get to the trigger warning. So we're just going to try, I'm going to try it, moving our trigger warnings up. Um, Liberty, this is a surprise to you. I was going to tell you about this before the show and I forgot. Um, so That's all right. Um, I'm all for it. Yeah. So 
the next book that I'm going to talk about deals with suicide. So here's your trigger warning for that. Um, and if you have additional thoughts about this as a listener um, of ways that we can improve this practice, if you don't think we should have this practice, save yourself the breath and don't email me. Um, but if you have ideas or you've heard other things on podcasts that do a good job of warning listeners about content, we just want you guys to all have a chance to opt in or out of things that might be difficult for you to listen to. So feel free to email us. It's all the books at bookriot.com. Uh, so this book deals with suicide. It's called What Made Maddie Run? The Secret Struggles and Tragic Death of an All-American Teen. It's by Kate Fagan. She is an ESPN commentator. She's a great sports journalist. And a couple of years ago, she wrote a piece about a college athlete whose name was Maddie uh, Holleran. She committed suicide at the University of Pennsylvania on campus. She was recruited to this Ivy League school to run for the track team. She was beautiful. She was popular. She was very smart. Um, she was one of those girls who, you know, did very well at everything she attempted. And it looked like she was just at the beginning of a really great life. Um, but her parents and her friends noticed that into like pretty early into her new college career, she was not doing very well. Um, she was withdrawn. She could. She was very depressed. It was obvious, but her parents d couldn't really figure out what to do. Um, in spite of like studying very hard and practicing with the track team very hard, she was thinking about transferring away from uh, Penn, which was had always been her dream school. And like her friends and family had noticed that something was going on with her, but she wasn't talking about it. And the thing that really struck Kate Fagan after Maddie's death was how if you had looked at her social feeds, if you especially if you looked at her Instagram, you would have seen that perfect life. Um, everything with a great filter, the nicely composed shots. And what's especially striking is that right before she committed suicide, like a few minutes before she, um, she jumped from a high building, she Instagrammed a photo of a mural that was, you know, down on the wall of the building. So like mere minutes before she was going to end her life, she was Instagramming something that looks beautiful and perfect. And uh, it struck Kate Fagan as that, you know, huge description between our real lives and our internal emotional lives and the images that we present online. And it just really drove it home. And she wrote this really incredible piece called Split Image a few years ago. And the book expands on that with interviews with Maddie's friends and family, a, a wider look at especially uh, young athletes and depression and suicide, mental health, um, the sort of culture of silence around those things and the deep shame that a lot of young people feel when they're in these situations where it looks like they should have everything. It looks like they should be just completely thrilled with their great college and their great athletic career and their great friends and how beautiful they are. And they're putting out that idea on social, but something else is going on. And so it's also going to, how do we get better about um, removing the silence? How do we get better about talking about mental illness? How do we make young people more comfortable talking about mental illness and provide them with more support? It's not an easy read, um, but if you are, I think, interested in these ideas at all, it's an important one. Fagan is a really terrific writer. If you like her voice, she also is on a new podcast produced by ESPN called Free Cookies that's about sports wellness. And uh, so it's like the intersection of like sports wellness and like Brene Brown, which is kind of my wheelhouse. Um, I've really enjoyed that. But What Made Maddie Run is really excellent. It's tough. If you have a young athlete in your life, I think it's especially relevant. But thinking about sending your kids off to college to 
too, um, just a, an important thing to be thinking about. And one more book that moves the conversation about mental health forward. Um, so that's What Made Maddie Run by Kate Fagan. Uh, I have something I know, that's lighter. a heavy one. <laughs> <laughs> I have something lighter. I figured, you know, why not lighten it up for the end here? Uh, and like we said at the beginning of the show, so many good books out today. Um, and this is one of them. It's The Bedlam Stacks by Natasha Pulley, who wrote the amazing watchmaker of Billigree Street last year. Everything blurs together now for me. Like, I'm like, was that last year or two years ago? I don't know. It's all together. But that was a fantastic book. And she has another winner on her hands. The Bedlam Stacks is awesome. Starts off in 1859. Our, our main character is Merrick Tremaine. He is an ex-East India Company smuggler. Uh, X because he's now stuck at his home in Cornwall recovering from an injury that almost cost him his leg. He has to use a cane and he can barely walk. Um, he's restless. He's so, so, so bored. So that's why he decides to accept an assignment to go on an expedition to Peru to get... I never said this word out loud before. I just realized so. I'm hoping I'm saying it's quinine, I hope is how you say it. It's the stuff you use to treat malaria. Um, he knows it's a bad idea. Like, most of the healthy people who have gone into the forest in Peru to get this have died. So he can barely walk. But he would rather, you know, end his life on an adventure than sitting around at home doing nothing. So he sets out for a mission colony on the edge of the Amazon. Um, only that he learns that the way into the forest to get this medication is through um, this dense part of the jungle where something kills anyone who attempts the journey. Um, and he needs to figure out what is lurking in the jungle in order to get in there and complete his mission. And along the way, he befriends a priest who knew Merrick's grandfather when his grandfather visited Peru years earlier. And there's this great friendship that grows between them. It covers several bases. It's historical fiction. It's a mystery. It's a tad supernatural. It's a tiny bit steampunkish. It's just, it's full of wonderful imagery and she is such a natural storyteller. It's just such great fun. If you love to watch Maker of Filigree Street, you will not be disappointed. She's done it again. Um, and I really, I love books like these sort of like Percy Fawcett, Indiana Jones kind of stories. Because when you think about the world now, it's like, eh, we've seen it all. You know, like the greatest exploring I do is when I possibly stop at a rest stop or go in a convenience store I've never been in when I'm traveling. You know, that's about as, as explorery as I get. So I love these, like, you know, uncharted territories, what's in the woods kind of stories. Um, again, it is called The Bedlam Stacks by Natasha Pulley, and it's awesome. All right. Wrapping it up this week, I have a want-to-read book. Um, this is cut from the new Lenny imprint that Lena Dunham is working on at Random House. I could not get my hands on a copy, so if you work at Lenny and you can hook a sister up, I would appreciate that. It's Sour Heart Stories by Jenny Zhang, and she is a Chinese-American poet and writer. The synopsis puts her in the wheelhouse for, of readers for Zadie Smith, Helen Oyayemi, and Juno Diaz, which I, I like that wheelhouse. I like to live in there. Um, and this is a collection of short stories that look at the immigrant experience in America, multi-generational and multiple continents, um, experiences in public schools in the U.S., to the streets of Shanghai, to the Cultural Revolution of the 1960s. Um, I 
I have always really just dug a collection of short stories. Y'all know this. And I like when a writer from a cross-cultural or multicultural experience is can look at both sides of that. Um, I think sort of the touchstone example tends to always be that Jhumpa Lahiri collection. Um, that, is it? It's not the namesake. It's Interpreter of Maladies um, that has uh, immigrants both in the U.S. and in India and looking at um, their experiences in both places. I think that's really always interesting to see both sides of the story um, and what it's like to move between multiple cultures or really to live your life at the intersection of multiple cultures. That's an experience that I don't have. Um, and especially younger writers getting into that thinks it's so interesting. So it's Sour Heart, collection of short stories by Jenny Zhang. And it is out now from Lenny. Now I'm going to keep my eye on that August. imprint. I think interesting things are happening there. Yeah. I know, August. Crazy. I'm not ready. No. All right. Well, we made it through new books this week, Miss Liberty. What are you going to read next? I just got my hands on An Unkindness of Magicians by Kat Howard. Ooh. So I'm super excited. She wrote Rotten Roses. Mm -hmm. And this one, apparently in this universe, magicians control New York City, but something is sapping their powers and things are going wrong. It, I don't know. It sounds amazing. The cover is unbelievably gorgeous. It comes out at the end of September. And not to be confused with An Unkindness of Ghosts by River Solomon, which comes out like the following week or the week after that, which also sounds really interesting. So maybe I'll read them back to back. There's a lot of unkindness going on. What about you? I actually don't know. Um, I finally started, I think I talked about it on the show a few weeks ago that I was going to read um, When Dimple Met Rishi, and I finally started it last night. Um, so I'm probably going to continue that. And I have Home Fire by Camilla Shamsi on my stack for our show about books on August 15th. Oh, we should also mention next week's show is going to be a fall preview. We're each going to do six titles plus one of Liberty's famous laundry lists of other things to look for um, for books coming out in the fall. And so we'll be back on the 15th with new releases for the 15th and maybe some pickups um, from the 8th. So get your TBR lists ready for next week's show and our fall books preview. We're going to bring it. You are. <laughs> Breaker of TBR lists would be your Homeric epithet. Yes. We are. Uh, TBR. <laughs> TBR. <laughs> Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, boy. Book pirates. Um, I don't even know what's happening now. So let's wrap up. We made it. Um, thank you again to our sponsors, to Talenti, Gelato, and Sorbetto, to Book Pop. You can go to quirkbooks.com slash book pop to learn more about their online Comic-Con and to The Punch Escrow by Adam Sternberg. We'll have a link to that in the show notes and you can pick it up wherever books are sold. If you've got a note for us, especially if you have some thoughts about ways to improve how we do trigger warnings on this show and on all the Book Riot podcasts, let us know at all the books at bookriot.com. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. And if you've got a minute to rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts, that is certainly always helpful to us, but more so to new folks who are looking for a great bookish show to follow. I'm totally fine saying this is a great bookish show that they should follow. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, oh yeah, my part, as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new book newsletter. So in the in meantime, time. <laughs> 
ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> Happy, Happy reading. reading.